When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you for being here as always. It's been a bit of a stormy week and I don't just mean the reaction to Arsenal's 2-1 defeat to Everton. It's been really stormy here. A tree on our road got upended and then disappeared. I think it was somebody's firewood within about an hour. So uh, we've had some stormy, windy, gaily, gusty, all that kind of stuff, but nothing, nothing in comparison to the online storm that surrounded that really disappointing result on Monday night, which I'm sure is going to be referenced in today's podcast. I will, as much as possible, try and avoid crossover with the discussion that I had with James on the Arscast Extra on Tuesday. Not much has happened. There hasn't been any news, as is usually the case with Arsenal after a bad result. Radio silence. We get this, like, nothingness. Tumbleweed, no training ground photos, no bits and pieces, apart from, of course... The launch of new retro kit and tracksuits and uh, jerseys and all that kind of stuff, which went down a storm today, Thursday, as I'm recording this. And man, do they know how to pluck on the emotional heartstrings of the Arsenal fans. Retro kit reminds us of the good times when we were growing up. Well, those of us of a certain age. And then they do stuff like, here's Bakayo Saka with a puppy. And you're like, oh, God. How can I stay mad? It's Bakayo Saka with a puppy. I mean, I wonder, do they have this like emergency list of stuff that they can do when everyone's going crazy and everyone's frustrated and mad because the on-pitch stuff isn't good enough? I mean, they have a list. Is it like Emile Smith-Rowe in a field of kittens? Gabrielle Martinelli cuddling up to a fluffy, cute bunny rabbit? Leah Williamson swimming in a sea of chinchillas? Aaron Ramsdale... Uh, I don't know. Aaron Ramsdale wearing a pair of snowman mittens and not those gloves that make him look like the lizard man from 10,000 Leagues Under the Sea. You could be cynical about all this, couldn't you? You really could. But hands up. How many of you out there spent some money on the the gear? How many? I thought so. I'm a 50-year-old man and I should know better and I still, still bought something. Do I have shame? Yes. Do I care? Not really. There are there are worse things in the world. Let's be let's be honest about all this. So look, let's get on with the show. And what we're going to do is uh, have a couple of talking points with our guests, um, as well as some suggestions, some questions from our Patreon members from the uh, from the Discord, which of course you can get access to straight away if you are an Arsplug member on Patreon. If you are a member, you want to get involved, just drop me a DM on Patreon. If you want to sign up and you get access to all the other content and all the other bits and pieces, it's patreon.com forward slash arsblog. So we'll do that. My guests today, delighted to welcome from the Arsenal Vision podcast, it's Clive Palmer. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And we have, I'm good, thanks. And we have Andrew Allen here as well. Hello, Andrew. Good evening. So look, I'm cautious that I don't want to like talk all about the Everton game again and all about the Manchester United game again. And there's not much been happening this week. So uh, there might be a bit of that. But I did want to start... Clive, on a a pressing issue, what I think is a pressing issue and what I think many people would consider a pressing issue when it comes to Arsenal, and that is goals. And uh, I saw some stats today from our our friend Orbino uh, on Twitter. Big chances created in the 2021-22 Premier League season. No surprise, the top of the list are Liverpool on 93, followed by Man City on 61, Chelsea on 57, but lowly 17th 
our Arsenal just ahead of Burnley. Uh, we've created 28 chances, by the way. Burnley, 27. Aston Villa, 26. Uh, the Buendia effect really kicking in there. And Norwich on, on 17. And a uh, big chance conversion rate in the Premier League. Uh, Everton are top of that, amazingly, 57%. But Arsenal also in 18th in that particular chart. 27% conversion rate on our big chances. So 27% of our uh, 28 big chances are going in the net. So the goals thing is is a big issue and it's a big worry for a lot of people. And I'm just curious as to how you think it's something that we could fix in, you know, the not too distant future because we need to. Well, there's two ways to look at it, right? You could just uh, sack the forwards and sack the manager. You could you could do that, <laughs> or you could actually have a look at how we're we're playing. And I'm, I may, I'm not over the last two games, and they're in my mind. So I've had to look at them for differing reasons. We were slow getting the ball into the areas that we need to get the ball into. So against Manchester United, our super ball carrier El Nini, top carrier. Not what we really want. Mm. You know, too slow to decide. Forwards don't move because I don't know when he's coming. So had a decent game for him, but not a decent game for the team. And other people then look unsure. Then you go to the Shaka game against Everton. Uh, he's a big change. And also Martelli coming in. No Smith Rowe linking. And that's what it's about, Andrew. Linking and stretching. You need people that come to the ball. You need people running away from the ball. And I felt we were too happy to come to the ball, which means we're not in the areas we need to be. We're not playing where we want to be, which is in their last third. So not enough people stretching the play, not enough people committing to runs. And that word commitment is really key. But when a player commits, you have to pass it to him. You know, so someone like Nuno now commits to his runs and forces you to pass to him. Aubameyang, whether he's on form or not, he does commit to a behind the defence run, which makes you pass to him. If you put a two and two together, you have someone like Shaka, first game back, I'm going to drop in because I'm not, I haven't played for a while and everyone else drops in to try to receive the ball. We end up playing playing with ourselves in our own half, right? not committing people. Saka's the only one that commits and once he was kicked to death, he stopped committing and we're in a bit of trouble, right? So um, it's no point in just replacing these players with other players and then not simplifying their roles and making them do certain things. So if you've got Granite Shaka, run away from him because he will pass to you if you run towards him. You see what I mean? So directions and instruction needs to be given. And I think what frustrated me about his last two games is we played in such a passive way, we didn't take the risk to push into the areas we need to be against a team which was bereft in confidence. That kiss of life, Andrew, is... And leaving that aside, if we can leave that aside, it's very difficult. I did hear Clive talk on on the Arsenal Vision podcast about... um, I've completely forgotten what it was I heard you talk about, Clive. It's going straight out of my head. El Nenny and the carrying. No, it wasn't El Nenny and the carrying. It was something to do with the Everton game. This is top-class podcasting. I cannot... (laughs) For the life, I, it was do in I my say, head. Do I say that many good things? You, you can't remember them. I've got it. I've is. got it. I've got it. I've got it. You know, the, obviously, the way we lose the game is really um, frustrating because you know we're ahead for most of the game and then throw it away. And last minute winners for the opposition are an absolute kick in the arse. But what Clive was saying was these defeats felt a bit uh, like the Arsenal of old. And when we talk about the Arsenal of old, I don't mean necessarily ten years ago or fifteen years ago I mean like the first three games of the season or you know at points last season where we were really frustrated by the way we played and the way we didn't take control of games and the way we lost games and there was a sort of retrograde feel to some of the decision making by Mikel Arteta Xhaka's back Tierney's back I'm not necessarily blaming those guys but but those things um, you know they felt like a step backwards when you think about the the run that we were on, it's interesting. I've heard people say, you know, the run where we were unbeaten and they've, they've sort of said the good run. And I understand when they do the inverted commas around the good run, but ultimately it was good because we went from like right down the bottom of the table to almost being in the top four if we got the right results. So I think by any measure, that's good. I can, you know, we can talk about the underlying statistics and all of that kind of stuff. But that, um, for me, I suppose, still remains the biggest frustration of of the last couple of games is just how familiar those results and those performances were. Yeah, the old demons 
Mm. Um, going to Old Trafford, probably being the better team for large periods and then somehow finding a way to allow Ronaldo to score two goals. Going to Everton, being in front, completely ceding control of the game and just falling apart at the end. I didn't actually think there was anything surprising about that last minute winner. I sat there bracing myself for it. And I would have been more surprised if we'd ended up getting an equaliser, which we you know, very easily could have done through Aubameyang at the end. Uh, I just found it, like you say, it's it's the breath of life thing that really, really gets to me. You know, we are a team who, who don't sometimes realise maybe how good we can be, or at least we struggle to comprehend that just a bit of talk shouldn't get in your head. I feel like the last couple of games, like, Thomas Partey's been talking about himself as this four out of 10 player, as if he's kind of welcoming all this judgment and all the rest of it. And it's almost as if he's now allowing it to be there. He played like a four out of 10 player at Everton off the back of saying he was a four out of 10 player. I don't want us to be talking like that. I want us to be talking like, look, we can do better, but you know, I'm a great player. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to show people. Um, it's It's been a really frustrating few weeks, but at the same time, and I think I said this to you privately, Andrew, like, you know, you can go through our fixtures at any point in the last few years and you kind of just tick in advance. We'll drop points there, we'll drop points there, we'll drop points there. And I always said, if we're ever going to move on from the Arsene Wenger era or show that we're a new team, we, we need to just get off this horse of kind of losing to the big teams every time we go away. It's just so frustrating. And um, it's obviously a very, very, there's a mental side to it. And I think that plays into the fans as well. I don't think we can get over it ourselves. Like, I think we're struggling now. We've just been battered by this sort of, uh, this this cycle of results that, you know, ultimately we all enter the game kind of like shoulders hunched up, slightly frightened. What's going to happen today? The Leicester game was a complete surprise to me because we went and did something that I just wasn't expecting. And that shouldn't be the case with this team by now, but it is, it's where we are. And um, I fear that's going to be, the kind of pattern for, for at least the next few months anyway. How does he get more Leicester, Clive? How does he instill in this team the confidence that they can go and do that? I'm not saying they should go and like play Manchester United off the park, but you should be able to go to that Manchester United team and at least not lose. You should not lose to that Everton team. And it feels like Whenever there's a moment for us to take a step forward, we take a step back. And and that applies to the team. It applies to the manager. I don't want to speak for the fan base as a whole, but there are there there's a sense, you know, that just when we let ourselves believe a bit, then we get knocked backwards. Uh, somebody on the the I can't remember who it was, but on the arses on, on arseblog.com, he said it's like that scene from um the Godfather 3, you know, when Michael Corleone is just when I thought I was out, they pull me back yeah. in. And it's it, from an Arsenal perspective, it's just when I thought I was in, they pull me back out. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, we have a team that's allergic to expectation. That's, that's the thing. And I actually thought we might slip against Watford. You know, that's what I thought because we were... We weren't there. The light was shining on us. Can we keep it going? And we just stumbled over that line. I thought, maybe we've gone past that mental block that we all know that's there, by the way. All of us know the block I'm talking about. Mm. It's still there. Manchester United was an opportunity and some people really put some weight and over-index opportunity and and we didn't quite manage it. We managed to... you know, grab defeat from jaws of victory there. And But the Everton one, that, that snapped something in people. And I think, I, I don't want to say some things about, say, attitude and things like that, but there needs to be a relish to go to a team that's struggling, not thinking we're going to be the team that's going to give them their day in the sun, which we just did twice in a row, by the way. Mm. When Liverpool went to Everton, they were all thinking 5-0. That's what Everton fans are thinking. It's going to be awful. And Liverpool started that game like wild men to say, we're here, we're coming to take you on. And this is what we were doing against Leicester and against Villa. And I was sold, mate. I was on the Kool-Aid, I was there. <laughs> and I, I'm thinking, I'm loving this. This is one of the best days of my life. Okay, I had been to the Tollington, so maybe I was a little bit excitable. But it, this is one of the best days of my life. And we don't relish these moments. We need to relish them. And little things are happening in the game. And I, I know it's only a little thing, but when... Godfrey stepped on Tommy Asu's face. 
I'm sorry. Mm. We should be reacting to that. As a team, we should be using that to fuel us. Like Liverpool use the Arteta thing to fuel them. Like Manchester United use the the Smith Row goal to fuel them. Mm. What do we do as a group, as a group of individuals to fuel us? They kick one of our players in the face and we still pass the ball around ourselves like we're in some sort of under-10s game. You know, we need to be going for them a little bit more and that needs to be instilled. That's an approach. That's an attitude thing. That is the art of the contest and competition we need to instill into these young men very, very quickly mm. because the talent is there. We, we can't unsee that talent. The talent is there. We're still work in progress. So now we need to instill that edge and attitude into the group. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I can't agree with that more. You know, I was I was really thinking the, the Tommy Asu incident was the classic, um, you know, get it up on the, the dressing room wall kind of thing for the halftime speech. Like we're a goal up. We've just scored. We didn't play well in the first half. We just scored. You know, they're on the back foot now and we should be coming out for that second half, Andrew, absolutely fired up, not just to sort of uh, consolidate our lead, to make sure we take the three points, to recover from the Manchester United game, but to 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 react to what I think was fairly deliberate and uh, organized fouling slash dirty play from Everton, which I completely understand because when you're a team in their position, if you put yourselves about a bit, you might be able to knock the opposition off their stride. I don't think it was something that we were particularly inhibited by, but we definitely, definitely did not react to it. Um, and I, I, I think that's... That's something that we as a team, as a club, the manager, his coaching staff really need to work on with these players because we don't have any sense of injustice about us except for Mikel Arteta's post-game interviews where he's rueful and frustrated and talks about it not being good enough. But you can demonstrate that on the pitch. Yeah, look, I mean... Watching the first 10 minutes of the Everton game, the thing that struck me was this was not a team that had been told to go out there and go quick, like go mm. hard. This was a team that had been told out there to be wary because Everton's crowd is going to be on you. You know that it's going to be difficult. Just sort of hold back, weather the storm, play yourself into the game. Now, Mikel Letta might turn around and go, kept it nil-nil to 43 minutes, scored a goal, went in at half time, game plan all on. But everything I saw about that performance was really passive. It felt from the get-go that we were a team who were thinking we just need to get through this and maybe we'll get a chance to win it. Not, as Clive said, going out there like Liverpool did, which is this lot are pretty shit. Let's just go and take them to the cleaners. Now, I know obviously we're not Liverpool and I know that we're in a, a process of developing players, but God, I mean, it was it was a really frustrating performance, probably the most frustrating performance of the season, I think. And, you know, the team talk was basically given by the loss at Manchester United. You know, everybody was very disappointed with that because the team knew that they should have got more out of that because in patches, we actually did pretty well, I thought, you know, especially in the first half. I thought we were okay at Manchester United. But again, it's that kind of inhibited by your own thoughts. Oh my God, how do we manage the game? Um, and I, I, I don't really know how we get past that aside from injecting new types of personality into the team. People who were bigger than, you know, the ability or bigger than the, the the issues that come with being inhibited in those circumstances. I mean, I'd look at someone like Granite Jack and I'd like to think that he's the type of person who's who can get past that. But when you look at him, he's also the type of regular presence in the team who for the last five or six years hasn't been in a team that's qualified for the Champions League. So you're leaning on a leader who's not really got any success behind him to point to and for everybody else to hang their hat on. So, uh, you know. You know, the Shaka thing, I don't really want to labour the point. I don't think he was particularly bad the other day. I don't think he should have been on the pitch for the full 90 minutes. You know, I think he, he did a decent enough job of working his way back into the team. But mm. it's just it's it's just a general kind of malaise on the leadership front, I think. Do you think, just sticking with you, Andrew, do you think that maybe it is Everton, the fact that it was Everton, that it was a club that Arteta knows and respects, obviously from his time there as a player. Like if we were going to play a West Brom, for example, who are in a similar situation, do you think we would afford them as much respect? Whereas Arteta, he knows the Everton crowd, he knows the club, et cetera, et cetera. 
I don't know. I look at the Leeds game in a couple of weeks and I think I could easily see us doing that same same performance at Leeds. I look at, you know, us going away to Wolves and I could see us doing that same performance. The the worry for me is that we go away from home and we too often put in five, four out of ten performances across the board and 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 other teams know that. They're not, you know, they're analysing our games when we go to other sides. They're looking at us and they're thinking to themselves, you know what, this is Arsenal now. This is Arsenal who we know will panic if they're not, you know, a couple of goals ahead. And I I don't know that we necessarily lent too much respect to Everton. I just think that we've got it in our heads that we really struggle away from home now. And I think it all goes back to that thing with goals. If you don't think you can score goals, then you're constantly going to be vulnerable. Mm. I don't know if you saw the quotes from Martin Odegaard, Clive, um, who was asked, mm. you know, did he think there's a, you know, an issue away from home? And he said, of course, there's a difference, but I don't feel like that's the problem. Um, he then said um, it was a mindset issue at Everton. He said, when you're leading 1-0, you get afraid to lose the win. And that, in my opinion, is what we did wrong today. Uh, he he basically said, where's the quote here? We stopped playing football after we took the lead, especially in the second half. We just kicked the ball long and gave them the game they want to play. And I think that really summed it up well. Yeah, I sometimes think we play 2-0 football at 1-0. Mm. And, and that's, I need one mistake and you're, you're back under it again. And you'll know what Everton's crowd's like. It's, it's not. It's not quiet up there, shall we say. And um, and they create momentums out of nowhere, out of any referee decision, they create momentums out of it and they build on it. Much like Liverpool, quite an emotional crowd, right? So uh, I think there is, a, there is a lack of offensive direction and penetration in this group, naturally. We like to feel the football. We're quite a positional team that's standing their zones and we like to feel the ball. And the players that break out of that and, and want to slice through you are the ones who are our favourites in the two young kids. And that cannot continue. It cannot continue while other people are bystanding, watching them take the risks, take the kicks, run themselves into the ground. That shouldn't be the case, right? And I'm waiting for someone to say, I'm prepared to take the risk. I'm prepared to take my man on. I'm prepared to run off someone's shoulder and not come to the ball and do a simple wall pass to keep my stats up so we can all go into FB ref and have a look and say, well, he's done well, 86% pass completion. Mm. Well, mate, you didn't, get a, you didn't get a shot. You didn't touch the ball in the penalty box. And I do think it's an issue. And I'm, there is a saying, I've said it before, Andrew, you're as good as your forwards. And it's a very basic saying. But even the team I'm involved with, we've added a new forward, we're a mid-table team, added a new forward and he's good. And we can't wait to get the ball to him. When you think back to the teams that you loved, you couldn't wait for the ball to arrive at those forwards' feet. You couldn't wait for it. At this moment in time, do you feel that about our forwards, if I ask you honestly? And more than anything, do you think the other team fear them? Do they change their game for those forwards? They don't. They stay tight. They get around them. Harry Maguire was taking shots. He wasn't marking our captain. You know, that's how brave people feel. And I know people saying, well, Arteta can't create. I'm, I'm telling you, you put two good forwards there. We all give them the ball because they are superior to their opponent and we want to win. And when you know you have the upper hand, whether it be physically or technically, you'll give it to that guy. Who is that guy for us? I'll tell you who it is. It's the two kids and they're one layer down. They're one layer down in midfield, attacking midfield. And they've been carrying this team for a year. And it needs to change. It really needs to change. And the four major, main wage earners, we can all name Pepe, Aubameyang, Lacazette and Party. that's where the cash is at the moment. And none of them, for different reasons, are on top, top form. And that needs to change. Well, sticking with that point then, Clive, you know, we, we have issues now with our forwards. Um, and I think we look for reasons why somebody like Aubameyang has stopped scoring. This guy who scored at a huge level, at a huge frequency his entire career under Mikel Arteta, the goals have dwindled up. And I, I you mm -hmm. know, you can do the whole cause and correlation thing. Yeah. It might be something to do with the manager. It might be something to do with Aubameyang. It's probably a mix of the two things. But there's no escaping the fact that we have right now a problem with him. Lacazette. Yeah. A player who doesn't score anymore, doesn't shoot anymore. Um, Nicolas Pepe, I mean, what's happened over the last couple of weeks has demonstrated that he's very, very not 
in the manager's plans right now. I mean, he could be. Um, things change quickly. You can't all write people off because football changes. But when you look at the substitutions that have been made, when you look at some of the team selection decisions that have been made, you know, Pepe sitting there on the bench when Enkedia comes on with this stony look on his face, it tells you everything about what's going on with him. And like, yeah. you know, I, I, I suspect that there were some people looking on going, yeah, similar look on their face with Pepe. But that's a big problem to have when your 26-year-old who's in kind of supposed to be his prime years just isn't being picked. Lacazette, you know, is going to leave in the summer. Aubameyang has gone off a cliff. That is a big problem. And I think there are fundamental issues with Arteta's, with Arteta's football, no question about it, and the way that we create or don't create. Uh, but we've also um, seen those issues uh, issues exacerbated by individual problems with three very experienced players who should be doing more. Yeah, we're now speculating again, aren't we, into relationships and mm. how people are being managed. And then this gets into the realm of what we see versus what we think we know versus the fact that they're in training every single day and, and Arteta seems to put a lot of store on what you do in training. Otherwise, Eddie and Ketty will be nowhere near putting on a tracksuit. He'll be in street clothes, right? And that's what should be happening for me if you don't want to sign a contract and stay at the club. And people who have got a contract who are committed to the club should be playing games of football to the people who are not. Do you mean someone like Balogun? Maybe. How can he be sitting there playing in front of two men and their dogs? How can he be doing that while he's committed five years and someone else who hasn't committed is getting those minutes? And I'm not talking about, I'm talking about 10 minutes end of games. Mm. That's what I'm talking about. You're committed. You've shown that commitment. Why not we repay that to you? You did what we asked you to do, you know? And, um, and so I'm not nothing against Eddie. Did he did fine the other day? And I misread his performance originally because he missed that chance, and I was upset. But I'd be asking myself to that's what, that's what I would look at. I look at the contractual commitment, and now we're in a situation again where, when Pep Guardiola sits down Raheem Sterling, and we all wonder what's going on. He's the best player for England in the Euros. He can do that because he's won a few tin pots in his time. You know, he's won the Champions League. He's got a reputation. When he does that, we all go, well, he knows what he's doing. When Arteta does it, we're thinking, well, what's wrong with you? Why don't you play him? You know, you need to win. Whatever you do, you just win. You know, he could have been a hero the other day. Eddie scores. Kieran Tierney comes back into team, sets up the first goal. Eddie scores the second goal. Arteta is the king of the hill, right? But he didn't. Eddie missed a chance. Kieran Tierney comes after, after an hour. We mess up our substitutions. Eddie misses it at the end of the game. We're, we're now wondering about relationship with the captain. We're wondering about Lacazette's situation, wondering about Eddie's situation, wondering about Pepe's situation. And that is the nature of the game. If you don't make these decisions, you better win. Otherwise, you open up the questions around your management style. It is. Yeah, sorry, did you want to go in there, Andrew? Well, I was, I was, I was just going to say, I, we just, it seems, as, as Clive was saying, it seems really strange not to give the opportunity to a young player who's committed, given you have so few opportunities to give players like him minutes across this season when we don't have European football. Um, I think, you know, obviously I know Lacazette's not committed either. You've got two <laughs> two players there who are likely to leave in the summer. And 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 as Clive says, you know, Balogun is, is, is too good for that lower level, lower level. I'm not saying he's necessarily the answer and that you can just throw him in and expect him to deliver the goods. I mean, we saw against Brentford, he had a real tough time of it. Came in pretty cold and, and you know, I don't think he was necessarily up to scratch that day. Not his fault at all. That was a really tough learning experience. But you have to give the kids some of the learning experience. What I'm slightly concerned at, at the moment is I'm not seeing some of the pathways back into the team for some for, for some new players, you know. Um, that that may come in time. Maybe the FA Cup will give an opportunity to a couple of them, but it excites fans as well. And, you know, if you're going through a big rebuild at the moment, the idea that we might get to see some new young players you know, would would get me interest, get me more interested. I want to see what they're up and what their level is, and whether or not they can make a difference. Last year, on the twenty sixth of December, Emil Smithrow came into the side and proved transformational, and and that really gave our season a new lease of life. Alongside, you know, Martinelli returning, although he ended up with less game time afterwards. I just, I'm looking around and I'm thinking, who's going to be that transformational? you know, presence for us this season if we need it, because it's quite easy for us to just drift back into mid table. We need another, you know, turbo boost at the moment really to, to, to kind of get us going again. 
Yeah, it's it's hard to know where that's going to come from. And when you have somebody, let's say, like Shaka, who's now going to be in the team ahead of Lukonga, at least until January anyway, when, when Thomas Partey goes away, um, you know, some of those pathways, as you said, are are, are difficult to see. And, and the thing with Balogun is, like, I, I think probably the best thing for him is to give him a loan in January to let him go and play in the championship maybe and and really toughen up and get to to play against big men who are going to batter him every time he gets near them. But that's how you learn. But also, we could have been giving him minutes during this season. There are and have been opportunities to give him minutes in games at the end of games and everything else. So, yeah, it's just one of those where the the decision-making from Mikel Arteta does come into a, a bit of question. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Uh, I want to move on to some of the the questions that we got uh, on the Discord. And I'll give this one to you, Clive. David Baratunk says, should the club help Arteta by changing the coaching staff behind him? I think this is a really interesting question because, you know, he is a, he's the manager now. So I don't think Edu or whoever, uh, Richard Garlick or whatever it might be, can come to him and say, we're changing your coaching staff because that's not really how it works. But I do wonder if... There needs to be a measure of um, self-reflection from Mikel Arteta when he thinks about what he does and when he thinks about the work that his staff do and he looks at how we play and he looks at where our trajectory is and he wonders, you know, is what we're doing really getting any better? Is there scope for somebody else? And... Um, there are some managers who just don't want to do that. Arsene Wenger famously was the man, but Alex Ferguson, on the other hand, would change his head coach, his number one coach, every few years. And that kept things fresh for him. So uh, how do you view that one? I think um, from listening and reading between the lines, Arteta is, is a, a very intelligent football man. That's, a, that's the word within the game. And he's more often than not the smartest person in the room. And that's not always good, by the way. Mm. That's not always good. And I think I think one thing I will say about the Arsenal team is we look coached. You could say we look overcoached on occasion, if that's your want. I think sometimes we need to lessen the precision. There's nothing wrong with giving the ball away on occasion. That's what you do when you do give it away is what really, really matters, your reaction to that. And that creates a little bit less structure. I want to be perfect and to keep the ball within the structure of how we play can sometimes encourage teams onto you who have little or no confidence and just want to run about and put you under pressure. And we saw that in the week, you know, and I think, so how, who gives him that view, that, that 30,000 foot view? Sometimes when you're in something, we all need someone to bouncing ideas off and, you know, someone maybe slightly not in the room, but not committing you know, to the same responsibilities as you, but can give you another view. And I'm sure he has people to do that. But I, the way I look at the coaching staff, a lot of them are, are younger than him and he's very young himself. And so when we're winning, we are this wonderful group of young coaches that we're developing. When we're losing, the one is, have we got enough experience around there to ride these rocky days? Which we all knew were coming, but somehow this feels not so good. And I think we feel it's a retrograde step. So who stops him reverting? You know, and we've seen some, a couple of selections that have reverted us backwards a bit. And now that little 
feeling we have is, oh, we had this feeling last Christmas, didn't we? Oh, are we going back to that? Are we going back to this where we feel there are cliques in the dressing room, disconnection with relationships? Is everybody behind him? Saturday's a big day. Mm. It really is a big day to confirm things, you know, to confirm that Aston Villa wasn't a blip, you know, Leicester wasn't a blip, you know, you got to reconfirm things that this is on the right path. And you can't say we're drifting, Andrew, we're not, we're doing something and this is part of the journey, but it don't feel good today. Does, you know, it yeah. Do, uh, does the lack of experience make us predictable, Clive, in terms of how we're set up? Because there are obviously very clear ideas there are things that they work on on the training ground. There are patterns of play, the positional thing, the lines of five, all of that kind of stuff is, you know, it's idealistic in a way, which is great. Yeah. And if you can make that work, I'm sure it's brilliant. I mean, Guardiola makes it work, but Guardiola has, you know, the best tools in the game to make it work when it comes to his playing squad. Whereas, you know, with respect, we don't and, and can't have the level of player that they have right now. But would an ex an extra man in there, somebody who's a little more experienced, say, you know what, sometimes just let them go. There, You don't have yeah. to control every aspect of the 90 minutes. And from those periods of chaos, of whatever you want to call it, things can happen. Whereas I think there's a very prescribed idea of how it can happen at Arsenal. And if it doesn't happen within those prescribed ideas, the players, they don't look like they feel they can express themselves. Yeah, I mean, Odegaard said we, we went long. There's nothing wrong with going long, for example. It's, it's how you follow that ball and how you win the second ball. and But also you who you're, who you're sending it to. Like, I mean, you can go long, yeah. but going long to Alexandre Lacazette is just pointless. It's pointless when he's standing in the middle of the pitch and he doesn't want to move and can't control the ball. And, you know, Van Dijk to Salah, that big switch, you know, mm. and he gets it down, he sets it off to, to Trent and off they go. Right? Nothing dramatic. If they lose it, they get it back really quickly. There's no there's no 58 passes in your own half in the own box before it gets there all of the time. And I enjoy that, by the way. I, I enjoy that to pull people on. Then you switch it up a bit. I think you, every coach goes into a game, what, what you call a game model, Andrew. You have a game model, what you do in the first five minutes, next five minutes. This game model needed to be tweaked. This was Everton. This was a team that was rocking. What what you don't do is play in your own box. Because that's just to encourage them. I and mean, we need to play somewhere else. Who is telling him to tweak his game model? Because I think we look coached. I'm not worried about that. But this little bit of advice and experience, there's always been that hole in the club. And I don't know if he's accepting, um, but I still feel there needs to be someone like that. I wouldn't be against it, put it that way. I wouldn't be against it. But then again, I have to be honest and say, I wasn't saying that when I walked out of the game against Aston Villa. And that's just being honest. No, know, that's, so. I mean, but I think that's perfectly fair because you're looking at the best version of what we think we can be. Yeah. And like we're fans at the end of the day. So when you see something good, you want to get behind that and you want to, you know, really get on board with it. Um, and it's like when I referenced that 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 run where we moved from near the bottom of the table to near the nearer to the top of the table. I'm not, I'm not going to say near the top. You know, there were good things there and we're looking for those encouraging signs. But when you see, Andrew, some of those mistakes and flaws reappearing, you know, there have been some green shoots, but also we've got a few fucking slugs in the garden who've eaten some of them. <laughs> I mean, just, just, yeah, I mean, that's so true. I mean, just going back to the, the idea that, you know, moving on some coaches or moving it around might kind of somehow affect what's going on in the pitch. I mean, yeah, sure, it might do, but it's also worth bearing in mind that when Fergie did it and some other coaches have done it, they did so after cycles of four to five years. You know, mm. Arteta's been working with Steve Round and Albert Spiebenberg for like two and a half seasons, right? Um, Molina and Cuesta, the young guys have only just come in. Yova came in last summer. So actually, if anything, it's a really raw team working together. They're probably still just getting used to it, given that they also spent, you know, several months behind closed doors, um, you know, during the pandemic when they had to get to know each other over Zoom calls and stuff. So mm. I think, I think 
you know, looking for reasons and pointing to the coaching staff probably is a bit premature at this point. Um, I, 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 I do agree that maybe there's, when you look at the the age profile of Molina and Cuesta and Yova in particular, like having guys who are in their 20s and early 30s who, let's say, were not players themselves at a particular level, like that's a very that is a very young sort of setup. I don't know how much in in the case of two of them they're just cone boys at the moment and sort of you know earning their stripes. Um, I definitely look at Steve Round and, and Stevenberg as the the guys who are really like Arteta's proper right hand men. And there's nothing I've seen from them that would make me think you know don't trust them. Ultimately, Arteta is the one making the the decisions. And I think as as Clive has alluded to, he's a big personality. He I get the same feeling that he's probably thinks himself, you know, the smartest man in the room and maybe he is. Um, and I think, you know, ultimately the buck, the buck stops with him. Just on this one, Andrew, because we have another question here. It comes from uh, Dazzy Pepper, who said, what is it with Arteta and managing substitutions? It's been two years and I can't see any improvement. Everton away might be his nadir of planning and executing substitutions. And I think James made this point on the, the Arsecast Extra on Monday, that when you start Granite Xhaka after three months out, whatever it is, two and a half months out, and you start Alexandre Lacazette, you know that those are two players that you should probably take off. The Tierney thing remains baffling to me. This is a guy who, you know, played 90 minutes twice for Scotland, was a hero, clearing things off the line. He was fucking swinging off the crossbars, doing like a table football guy, you know, defending with his life. He can do it for Scotland. I don't see any reason why he couldn't have done it uh, for us on on Monday night against Everton, but he was replaced by Tavares, who then, uh, when we lost Martinelli, felt like a really unnecessary sub. So, you know, is that something where, um, you know, if we talk about players learning from their mistakes, Ben White, for example, who I think in the last few games, you know, has made errors which probably require a good video session for him to be, you know, sat down and, you know, shown this, don't do this, don't do that. This is what you need to do in these situations, which is perfectly normal for a young central defender. You know, um, I've told this story before, I remember, but I remember watching the the season uh, review video was 1988-89. I can't remember what it was. Uh, the year that we won the title at, uh, at Anfield. And the first game of the season, our first home game of the season, I think was at uh, against Aston Villa. And it could have been Tony Adams or David O'Leary or somebody just giving the ball away really stupidly. And they scored and they scored another couple of goals. And our central defenders were all over the place there. So, you know, defenders will make mistakes and they need to learn from those. But, you know, a manager when it comes to that aspect of the game, because it can be a real... Um, a real weapon to be able to change the game in a positive way. And I, I feel like throughout Arteta's tenure, there have been issues with red cards, there have been issues with uh, injuries, where many of the substitutions have been enforced, where you get to the end of a game and you can't necessarily throw one guy on because you're worried about another guy, et cetera, et cetera. But it, it does feel like something that he hasn't really got on top of. It's definitely been a, a running theme. I, there's there's bit of me that gets concerned about the idea that Arteta uses substitutions as a means of rewarding players, which, you know, isn't necessarily... When you need a goal, you don't pick the guy who just happened to look kind of quite good in training this week compared to the guy who maybe had a, a limp day or two, right? I go and pick the guy who I know has scored 15, 16 goals within the Premier League and has actually, you know produce some some results on the pitch previously i i want experience and i want know-how and i i kind of feel like he he gets a bit personal sometimes with some of the substitutes at the same time i mean the everton game like you say the tierney thing i didn't really get i I just mostly what i didn't get was chucking Tavares in given that Tavares had made mistakes in 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 the heat of battle at, at liverpool and it was a game that was very much in that same moment where we were Pretty ragged, pretty nervy. Seemed like a weird one to me. The Xhaka one was the one that baffled me the most, only because the guy's not played in a couple of months and he's not the fastest as it is. And he was blowing at 60. He was Mm. absolutely blowing at 60. And as the game got stretched and he was on a yellow card, 
you could see that he was either going to get himself sent off or he was not going to be able to keep up with play. And ultimately, yeah, that, that is exactly what happened at the end. And I, I just, I thought someone like Sambi coming into it, I know that sounds a bit silly given that he too maybe kind of looked a little bit ragged at Liverpool as well. But it just, that one, just from a sheer kind of like, he's not played in a while, he looks tired, he needs to go off. That one was the one that stood out to me. And I guess in those circumstances, do you look at the coaching staff around you and say, okay, you want a voice to pipe up here and go, all right, Mikel, I know that you want to put X on, but actually I think Shaq is blowing here and we need to yeah. put someone else on. Um, so maybe there's there's something there. But yeah, it was it's, it's not good. I mean, Arsene had a period towards the end of his career where while he was always clockwork, his judgment on the substitutions also sort of started to, to veer off off, 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 uh, you know, off the path, and he'd always been quite good. And he'd throw a bit of hell and go, you know, throw the hell Marys, go hell for leather. But um, yeah, things started to to loosen there, and it, it was a sort of warning sign, which is why I get concerned. But yeah, it's, it, it does seem strange. I mean, substitutions when you see the reaction that people online, you know, the way they react when it's that many people reacting the same way, you sort of start to go, well, actually the law of averages suggests here, if everyone's thinking this way, then the guy's probably made the wrong call. Mm. Um, I think some of the substitutions are almost culture based, right? They're things for the culture. And I know we've, we've heard the lines about putting in the foundations. We've changed the team massively. Young players that last two, three transfer windows coming in. And he seems to be using this to send messages, not just to reward, but to admonish, mm. you know. And it's it, it's culture-based for me, and um, I get it. You want to create standards, those standards need to be there. But I think about, you know, I think about when you're, while you're creating standards, I think about the, the 4,000 people stuck in the corner of that ground, freezing themselves to death, can't get a train back. I think about them, you know. I think about the... The millions around the world listening in and watching on everything they possibly can. I think about them, I really do. And there's a time when you're, you just need to say, okay, I may need to just drop that for this one. Because I look, it may, he, whatever he does, it may not work out. But if I feel as though your motivations for making for substitutions can be questioned, then you get a disconnection. And that's something we weren't seeing a little while ago. There's another variable to think about, Andrew. We're in the month of December. Mm. And we are now racing downhill towards a transfer window. And there's a little bit of shop windowing happening, not just at Arsenal, but around Europe. You know, players that are not not in good places for suddenly playing more minutes than they normally would play. You know, and um, again, is business a priority over the results? You know, and so once you start to bring all these variables into it and things can be questioned, you you lose that transparency, you lose that unity, you lose that connection to the crowd, the fans, the club, the manager. Bingo. We are where we are after two defeats. Yeah, look, I mean, I think if you're if you're using, you know, that Everton game and the Liverpool game or Man United game rather to to put Eddie and Keddie in the shop window ahead of January I mean, that really speaks to your your planning. I mean, I find it hard to, to believe that a coach would do that at the expense of his best chance of getting a result or getting a goal or, or taking three points. Football clubs are weird, though, so maybe they, they operate in ways that we don't know. And there's a lot of stuff that we don't know, of course, behind some of the decisions. Maybe there's injuries, et cetera, et cetera, uh, that they keep quiet about. But we'll see. Um, we'll do a couple of quick ones. Go on, Andrew. I've got one thing. What? I can't let it slip. Arsenal played Wimbledon on the first day of the 88-89 season, but they did play Aston Villa in the first home game of the season. That's what I meant. Oh, that's what you meant. <laughs> that's what I meant. I was thinking home game as well because yeah, yeah. I was at that game. Okay, <laughs> go. Fair enough. I should have said that. Uh, I should have said that. Made that distinction. Okay. Um, this one comes from R.D. Clive, and he says, "Did I expect too much from Thomas Partey?" I thought he'd transform our midfield the way Virgil van Dijk did with Liverpool's backline. Yeah, the Thomas Party issue. Uh, I think this is this is getting quite in-depth, isn't it? I think um, we have this thing where we, we sign a player that's peak age and quite established, 45 million quid cash, bang, there you go. Well, you we've waited for you for so long. We've had so many players that have not been up for it. We expect you to deal with this. Can you deal with this midfield? And um, and 
I think he hasn't. I think he's done really well most of the time, but all of a sudden he seems to have lost some of the things that come natural to him. His tackling is something that's really quite strong. The art of the duel seems to have gone away from him a little mm. bit. I wonder if that is because he just want to, doesn't want to get injured again. His passing has become a little bit more cautious um, because, again, I think he's reading the headlines and he's giving the ball away simply and simple passes. He's, he's now thinking about it too much. I don't want to talk about his shooting because uh, Tim <laughs> Tim uh, Tim gives me enough sick about his shooting. <laughs> and I go, but his shooting's never been quite there. I think also as a personality, he doesn't seem to be an alpha personality like Granite Shaka, for example. And at the clubs that he's been at, there have been alphas there like Diego Costa and Godin and, and players like this, uh, you know, Koke, Saul. These guys are not little flowers and he can just be that guy that does everything that they don't do. When you come to us, we want you to do everything and more. We want you to lead this team. And by the way, the way we play, we actually leave you on your own in centre midfield because the other centre midfielders are playing left back. And so we leave you on your own with a big target on your back. And there you go, we'll roll the ball into you. You better get out of danger. And for mm. a lot of times he can, but sometimes he can't. It's quite interesting playing with Sambi. There's much more of a partnership there. I think that worked quite well. And I think he has to take responsibility himself as well. And I think there was something he said very early in his career that I think it was a big jump in wages for him and a big jump in responsibility. And I think he tried very hard. And even when the day he got injured against Aston Villa, when he pressed the goalkeeper and he, and he was really trying hard, he tried hard to get back from injuries. I think he felt a sense of, this club has invested in me. Mm. I need to repay them. You know, and I think that injury cycles continued. I went to the preseason game versus Chelsea, Andrew, and he was unbelievable until Loftus Cheek Kung Fu kicked him to the floor. And then we lose with a high ankle sprain, much like we lost Lacazette on his second season with a high ankle sprain preseason. And he never shook it for the whole year till he got an operation. I'm concerned about him. I'm concerned that he's concerned about him. That's what really concerns me, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Because I feel we got, don't tell me we've got another guy in PKs who's a, who's a little bit sensitive, you know, and we, the ones that don't care seem to be the youngsters. And some of our elder statesmen seem to find a hole to throw themselves into. Mm. And I include our skipper in that as well, I'm afraid. Uh, yeah, let's not do that one. Andrew, just some quick thoughts on, on Thomas Party. Yeah, I mean, I, I got a bit of stick when I came on the Arsecast a while back and, and kind of put my tin hat on after throwing a couple of grenades in Thomas's way. Um, it, it, he's flattered to deceive, really, hasn't he, since he since he joined? He's sort of – you can see so much that he wants it to work, but everything I've seen so far just makes me think that there's going to be a sad ending to this. Um, he's an introvert, I think, is quite mm -hmm. clearly an introvert. And I think, you know, we, we, we've had too many introverts – in the team over the course of the last few years. And, you know, Aubameyang might drive a flash car and wear funky clothes and stuff, but he's an introvert. You know, there's absolutely Brilliant. no doubt about that. And I think, you know, the acquisition of Ramsdale, it was interesting when Arteta talked about that, that he talked about the personality. I think he realised that on the pitch, the balance is not right there. You know, Ben White, again, looks like a quiet lad. Gabriel may be a little bit louder. Tierney's definitely a quiet lad. Tommy Asu's definitely a quiet lad. You know, Saka, Smithrow, quiet lads. They might grow as they become more experienced and get used to being, you know, top-level footballers. Mm. But we got a lot of quiet lads in the team. And I think that's why he was probably so desperate to keep hold of Xhaka, not knowing that he could necessarily replace that in the summer as well as his quality on the ball. Um, but it's an issue. And I think anybody expecting... Thomas Party to be Patrick Vieira. I mean, one, that was just never going to happen. Anybody expecting, you know, even even Thomas Party to be Gilberto. I mean, unless you've got those people, other people around you, it's really hard to kind of become who you need to become to, to live. I don't know. He's just had so much to live up to. And I just, I just, I've always thought to myself, oh, that's a lot of money to spend on a guy. And I haven't necessarily seen him do what we're asking him to do 
because we were asking him to do a lot more than he was doing at Atletico, where yeah. his remit was far, you know, it was very, very defined. He had a lot of people around him helping him. They operate far more as a, as, as a unit. And, you know, we signed him and Edu and, and Arteta were talking about him giving more in attack. And you're kind of thinking, that's fine. But if you're hiring a guy and you're thinking he can do it rather than you know he can do it, that, mm. <laughs> that's a bit of a worry. Um, I hope it comes good for him because he seems like a really nice lad. But um, mm. yeah, that's not going to be enough on its own. I thought Amy wrote a good piece during the week in The Athletic about Thomas Partey and did reference some players who, when they're taken out of that structure at Atletico Madrid, you know, yeah. don't quite flourish. Griezmann at Barcelona, um, Saul at Chelsea, who I, you know, when they signed him in the summer, I was like, oh, fuck. And I forgot they had him. Uh, you know, so that, that'll that tell you um, everything about how that's going to go. But look, I, you know, I think the talent is there. I just wonder maybe if the partner needs to be right for Partey. Um, I'm not sure at Xhaka, even though there might be more compatibility there than anybody else, but I'm not sure. Um, and, and that's... I mean, I Go on. What's going to be really interesting is that obviously he's going to disappear for the for the AFCON and there mm. will be an opportunity forced on us to try something different. Um, what that is remains to be seen. But, you know, if I'm Sambi, I'm licking my lips. I'm thinking, you know, here's an opportunity. I really think Sambi's got something about him. I think he needs to, you know, maybe have a full season under his belt before we see the best of him. But there's something about Sambi that I see that I just haven't yet necessarily seen in, in Thomas. I know that may sound crazy to a lot of people listening, but it's just a gut feeling. Well, I mean, we had an opportunity to try something different when Shaka was out and it seemed to work. And then we went back to that. But Final one, Andrew, uh, from Daniel Refat on the Discord. He says, it's that part of the season. Lots of transfer rumors coming up now, but how likely do you think it is we will sign players in January? Um, I think some players will leave. I'm trying to think if we'll... I mean, we definitely need something up top. I mean, if you're looking to next season and you want to hit the ground running and you're losing Nketiah and you're losing Lacazette and Ober's going to be entering the final year of his contract, I think, mm, yeah. um, you're in a situation where you're very exposed there. And if I was us, I'd be thinking, if we can get someone in now and give them six months before we go next season, I would be doing that. The names I've seen mentioned, you know, the the Vlajevic and the, the the Juve Swedish fella. I can't even start with a K. Sorry, Kulazewski. There you go. Um, interesting names. I mean, I just I'm always slightly um, I'm always slightly uh, loath to believe any rumours linking us with players in Italy. I know it occasionally happens. Tommy Asu is an example, but we so rarely go there in a, as a market. Um, I saw Nikola Jovic, the Real Madrid striker, was mentioned a while back as well. But I mean, by and large, I just I, I, I don't know. I don't see a big, big move happening in January. I'd love to think we could pull off an Eduardo type transfer, you know, this magic mystery man who comes in. And, but, mm. that, you know, that type of transfer just doesn't happen anymore. Looking around the rest of the team, I mean, midfield, we're going to be a little bit exposed maybe in the second half of the season, potentially. Well, at least in January, if El Nenny's thinking about leaving and, and parties away. Uh, I think defensively, we've probably got plenty there, uh, unless he wants to give Tommy Asser a rest and doesn't trust Cedric. Uh, but I'd prefer <laughs> us not to go buy more fullbacks at this point. Yeah, I think we could invest elsewhere. I mean, I have to say, a striker in January wouldn't surprise me hugely. Uh, I don't think it's likely, but it also wouldn't surprise me. Um, I think a lot might depend on what happens in December as well and how well the rest of December goes because, I don't know, look, uh, a bit like releasing incredible retro kit, nothing takes people's minds off how badly things are than, you know, a shiny new signing, Clive. So it wouldn't be a huge shock to me if there was something in the offing in uh, January. I'm not saying that December is going to go terribly or anything like that, but if it didn't go as well as we would like, you know, an investment, a new player, that would be another thing to sort of stem the tide of what the fuck is happening here. Well, it works for me, right? Because I'm a salesman's dream, right? So um, <laughs> and I've, all, I've ordered the kit, everything. And um, and I believe all of the transfer rumours and immediately go and research all of the players, right? So um, Good. And two of those players that Andrew mentioned in Jovic and Kulisewski are 
two players that are suddenly getting some minutes again for their clubs. <laughs> and, uh, and it's just strange that, isn't it? You know, um, in the Champions League last night, I think Jovic scored and um, I hadn't seen him on a Real Madrid kit for ages. You know, so um, mm. things, strange things happen in the month of December, shall we say. And uh, I think the striker thing, something like that would be a, a loan, actually, would be a loan for Jovic would, would maybe help if someone else is going out and maybe Bal- it allows Balogun to go on loan, which I think is more important than him actually playing for our first team, that he plays every single week with blokes with beards like Andrews, basically. And, uh, <laughs> and so we're fighting for their mortgages, etc. That's what he needs to do. And it becomes more real. Uh, I'm going to correct myself because obviously I said Nikola Jovic when I meant Luka Jovic, and I'm thinking of the uh, yeah the Serbian basketball player over I in the States. Yes, and I'm getting that mixed up as well. Well, I mean, there is a guy who would certainly give us an outlet for the long ball if we wanted to play that way. Yeah, Absolutely, way, you're way too you're way too hard yourself. I didn't even notice, but I knew who you meant exactly. And I do think, um, yeah, I do think the forward areas is key, really. And what's interesting about the forward areas is he's never really bought one Arteta. And yeah, so that's we, true, um, yeah. yeah. We understand what he wants at the back door now. We've seen the goalkeeper, we've seen the personalities, we've seen the the size of our defenders, mm. you know, the physicality, the technical ability, the two-footedness on occasion. We've seen this now. So we know what he wants at the back door. Also, he bought party in, maybe well, that's to, to be confirmed, shall we say, although I'm a bigger fan than some. And and now you've got Odegaard in as his Bernardo Silva-style playmaker, there in the midfield, lefty that gets on the ball and controls play, but we haven't bought forwards. So what does a forward look like for an Arteta team? And this is the output, the outcome, the last thing. Maybe the last excuse for some people who have already done with him. Do you see what I mean? Mm. This is the last thing. What does that look like? Is it going to be a a runaway, a a pivot? Is it going to be somebody that's small and technical, someone like a Calvert-Lewin? I think this is the most interesting thing because you do need that fear factor up top. You need that thing, that X factor. And we don't have it today. It's, it's, it's sad, but we don't. We have good guys, good players that play for 20 minutes bursts. And, that, and that's what we end up doing. 20 minute bursts. If we do win those 20 minutes, we are a great side. But if we don't, mm. we know our record from coming from behind is literally zero. So um, that's, that's a problem for us. All right. Well, we will wait and see what happens in January. I think that's a really good point about, um, you know, Arteta uh, and his purchases because, well, he did buy a forward in Willian. So, you know, there's a slight oh, worry yeah. there. But I know what you're saying about, about Stryker. All the investment this summer went into the defense and midfield and a, a attacking midfielder in Martin Odegaard, but a striker. Uh, yeah, I'd be fascinated to see what happens, who it is, and, and how much we're willing to push the boat out for a player who, you know, I suppose we're going to try and buy for, you know, the long term as well. Um, I don't think we'll be investing in a, a late prime striker again uh, the way we did with, with Aubameyang. So look, we'll wait and see uh, whether it's January or the summer. We'll leave it there, though. Clive, thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much. And Andrew Allen, thank you also. Thank you very much. And I just want to point out that uh, players in the championship, uh, their beards are far, far scruffier than yours. So we've got to get that clear. Thanks, guys. I, 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 that just completely went over the, my head at the time because I was too busy thinking about what I was going to say. <laughs> Thank you very much to Andrew. You can find him on Twitter at A. Allen Sport, at A. Allen Sport, and he's the co-host of the Left Field Podcast, which you can find wherever you get podcasts by just typing in Left Field Podcast. Clive, of course, you know, is part of the Arsenal Vision Podcast crew, and thank you very much to him. You can find him on Twitter at Clive P. AFC. Right. I am going to leave it there for now. Remember that we will have a preview of the Southampton game over on Patreon tomorrow. Myself and Lewis Ambrose will be previewing that game. You can find it at patreon.com forward slash arseblog. Should be out for you a little bit after lunch. Of course, the Southampton game at the weekend is something James and I will talk about on the Arsecast Extra on Monday. For now, As ever, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening, for all your emails and everything else. Fingers crossed we have a good weekend and we can get ourselves back on track. So until the next one, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye.
Yes, Steve McManaman, I think we all know what it is that you're trying to say there. Play has stopped for a moment, so let's get an update on that previous incident with former referee Peter Dalton. Did Mike Dean make the right call? Well, as you can see, Greta Shacker has come sliding in there quite fast indeed, and his trailing leg has made no contact whatsoever with the opponent. However, when you slow it down, you can see that he quite clearly turns his head and breathes aggressively in the direction of the other player. And the referee really has no choice whatsoever. He's got to send him off there. It is a red card. And I fully expect Granit Xhaka to serve a long, long suspension for this particular offence. Thank you, former referee Peter Dalton. Play is back underway with a free kick on the right-hand side to... Who could argue with that from Steve McManaman? Truly a voice of football wisdom for our times. Obviously, we do have a small break in play here. Distressing scenes, of course, with the ambulance taking the Arsenal player away. It does give us the opportunity to go to former referee Peter Dalton for his view on that particular incident. Should Ben Godfrey have been sent off, Peter? Well, there's three things the referee's got to take into account here. One, did Ben Godfrey deliberately stamp on Tommy Asu? I think the footage shows that yes. Yes, he did. Two, did he endanger the opponent? Yes, he certainly did, as we can see, with Tommy Asu struggling to stick his eye back into his own socket. And three, did this offence take place against an Arsenal player? And yes, yes, it did. Therefore, it's not a red card. Thank you, Peter Dalton. Ha <laughs> ha, look at his eye. It's like those glasses used to get in a joke shop, remember? They go boingy, 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 boingy. <laughs> but of course, everybody here at PT Sports wishes him a speedy recovery. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.